Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Journeyman Fire podcast. Today, we uh, are joined by our co-host, Kyle, myself, and Grant Schwalbe. Uh, our guests today are Brian Olson and David Rhodes. We're going to talk some about the smoke diver program, how to prepare, the history of it, and stuff like that. Um, I think a lot of people will be fairly interested in what these gentlemen have to say. So without further ado, let uh, Brian introduce himself, who, who he is, where he's from, and a little bit of his background, and then Chief, if you'd follow up after him. Yeah, uh, hi, my name is Brian Olson. I uh, work for the Eagle Fire Department in Eagle, Idaho. Uh, I've been there for about 10 years. Uh, first couple of years of that as a volunteer, and then the last just over eight years as a full-time employee. I ride in the backseat of uh, Truck 41 on A-Shift, and uh, I also teach with uh, Brothers in Battle, uh, if you prefer Brothers in Battle. Um, yeah, grew up, born and raised in Idaho. My family's lived here for over 100 years, and uh, yeah. Chief, Chief Rhodes, how about yourself? Give us a little background. Tell us who you are, where you work, and a little bit of background in the fire service. All right. David Rhodes, uh, battalion chief in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, started in the fire service in 1985 in a small suburban department and then uh, worked there for six or seven years and then moved up to the city. Um, been involved in smoke divers since 1986 and uh probably gonna retire at the end of this year from fire service but keep doing smoke divers and fdic and all that stuff that's me chief we uh we had got the privilege to teach in wichita a few years ago and that was about the first time that i'd heard about smoke divers uh originally i thought it was people jumping out of planes and stuff but can you explain uh the georgia smoke diver program a little bit to us sure the uh Georgia Smoke Diver Program started back in 1978 after some Georgia uh, firefighters went down and took the Florida Smoke Diver Program. And uh, we've traced that back to uh, a, a retired battalion chief from New York who actually um, started the very first, first program there. And they were using some techniques from some training that they had gotten over um, overseas and uh, those programs overseas are still running and are mandatory for a lot of their departments but it primarily was a course to uh, teach breathing apparatus confidence back in the early days because breathing apparatus were were fairly fairly new as far as is being required for everything and uh, as with any new piece of equipment there's always concerns about it uh, being man-made and having problems and failing. So the course was developed around the idea of knowing everything about the breathing apparatus and how it functions and how to take care of any emergencies that come up um, while you're wearing it. So over the years, it's progressed into um, keeping the same core uh, mission of the the mental toughness and the physical fitness and stuff, but it's total encompassing now with a uh, search course still breathing apparatus is a big part of it thermal imaging um, fire attack and uh, just as hard if not uh, harder than ever on the mental and physical physical sides we're truly pushing folks uh, as far as we can push them 
with having to make lots of critical decisions uh, over the course of the days and uh, the cumulative effect of six days of training once you get to about that third day um, really starts to kick in with the mental fatigue and uh, the decision-making part. We emphasize a lot on leadership, servant leadership, and uh, basically using fire drills now to make you a better version of yourself and also learn a little bit uh, about what you're capable of when, when things really get tough. We've done, uh, we're getting close to 60 classes in Georgia and we have a um, program in Indi Indiana that's, that's held six or seven classes. And then we just got done with uh, Oklahoma class one and it takes these these satellite programs uh, anywhere from four to six years to get started because of the uh, immense um, level of dedication it takes to send about 15 to 30 people through our program and then come back and intern as instructors for five or six classes which takes takes three or four years so it's quite an undertaking these guys uh Brian Lloyd in Oklahoma, Matt Stewart in Indiana, and their teams have really put in a lot of work uh, to make their programs go. I think uh, Oklahoma took about four years, and I think the Indiana one actually took about six years to get off the ground. And uh, they're still growing, but uh, but they're they're starting to fill up and and have some good good classes. What's the process like to? Uh to get get involved and and sign up and take these, the smoke diver program. Um, well, the first thing is to um, look for our our applications to be open on uh, uh, on the website. And we what we do is we get uh, information on who's interested, and then once the actual process opens up, then uh, Brent Hollander will send out an email to everybody to sign up, and it's. Uh, we laugh about it, but it's kind of like Garth Brooks tickets. Uh, the class is pretty much sold out within about first 30 minutes of uh, opening it up. And we tell people to stay stay engaged with the website because things happen in, in life and people have to cancel or, uh, you know, they may get deployed or reassigned to somewhere else and not have the flexibility of being able to get off. So uh, I'd say about 10% um, end up dropping out before class and then we fill those with the with the alternates on the list. There is a qualification for in-state uh, qualifications. We do those typically uh, in January, February for the spring class and then September for the fall class and it's a multi-station basically a, a PT test and then there's also a written test that goes along with it. And uh, we take the top scores from, from those qualifications. The out-of-state candidates, just logistically, uh, we don't want to make them fly in to have to do a, uh, you know, extra expense and all that. So we qualify them on the day before the class. They go through the same exact process uh, of the written test and the PT test but they're actually not competing for a spot like the in-state um, 
candidates. So if you're out of state coming to Georgia, then uh, as long as you pass the qualification test, then you're, you actually are in the class. So Brian, your uh, fitness regimens are, are, are pretty widely known, uh, a little different than most. How did you prepare for the smoke divers? And did you feel that that training regimen uh, helped you throughout the program? Yeah, well, I, I, uh, just to start off with, I, I didn't know a lot about the smoke divers. Uh, I had heard of it and I'd seen the black t-shirts and stuff, but, um, there's not a, a ton of information out there about what exactly it is. And so it wasn't until my, uh, good friend, Eric Haskins, who works for a department close to me, went through it, um, that I actually, uh, learned about it a little bit more and and decided to do it. it uh, in all honesty, it was when I saw Eric tattooed it on his arm. I go, oh, this is probably a pretty serious thing. I probably need to look into this a little bit more. And then once he kind of explained what the class was, uh, I was all in. And so that was uh, at the firemanship conference uh, in 2019. And so I started uh, physically preparing and trying to get uh, you know, get myself ready in May for the November class. Um, and I think, uh, first of all, I don't think you can over prepare for the smoke diver program. I think a lot of people, I obviously probably overshare uh, on social media. Uh, so people are kind of following, uh, what I was doing to get ready. And I think a lot of people had the impression that, um, I was over-prepared for the class, and after going through the program, I don't, I, I'm not sure you can over-prepare for it because the nature of the program, they're going to get you to that uh, physical and mental breaking point re regardless of how well you prepared. So you could be the most prepared person to ever go into that class, and uh, because of how dynamic the instructors are and everything going on, they're going to get you to that point regardless. So obviously the more you physically prepare and try to get your, uh, your mental state, right. Um, probably the better success you have of completing the course. Um, but you're not going to be over-prepared for it. So I think everybody kind of wants a, a magic pill or a magic program that's going to get you through smoke divers. And I'm not sure it exists. Uh, for me, my personal goals going into it were uh, you, you obviously want to be able to do the PT movements in your gear basically like all day long. Uh, you want to practice the obstacle course uh, that you can find on the website uh, in your gear on air and work on your air consumption. And you got to be able to run a little bit. My, my goal was to be able to run three miles in under 21 minutes. And I thought if I could reach that goal, and I'm definitely not a runner, um, then I, sh I should be able to complete the, the run that happens uh, on a daily ba basis in the program. Um, so I think more important than some kind of secret program to get through the course is uh, what is your reason for being there and why do you want to be a smoke diver? So for me, uh, when I was interested in it and talking to Eric about it a little bit more. Uh, I was going through a lot of mental struggles uh, personally, and uh, I, I wanted a goal. I needed a goal to kind of latch onto, and uh, it was smoke divers. And so I think one of the things that it taught me the most is prior to it, I was very much a, 
motivated by shame kind of guy. You know, you kind of beat yourself up to uh, get yourself to work harder, to uh, push yourself and, and a lot of negative self-talk in my head. Um, but what Smoke Divers taught me is as I prepared between that time in May to November was to have some more positive self-talk because I think if you uh, like how I was before with the, with the negative self-talk towards myself when you're, when you're working out and doing all those things and trying to push yourself, if you go into the Smoke Diver program doing that, you might have a very difficult time passing the course because you get plenty of adversity thrown at you that you really don't need any more, <laughs> any more negative self-talk in your head um, coming from yourself. So any little bit of positive self-talk that you can have, I think is a huge benefit. And that's uh, one of the things that helped me uh, get through the program, I think, is uh, that preparation, preparing my mind to have a little bit more positive self-talk. And then the physical work that you put in on the front end is going to help you keep pushing when, you know, you're on day five and, uh, you're, you know, uh, your body is really, you're just tired and uh, you're, you, you know, a lot of people are ready to quit. And uh, so the mixture of that mental and physical preparedness is, is a huge benefit coming into the course, but at some point you're going to reach your limit and you're going to have to make a decision that you're going to finish it. So uh, that all that preparation work ahead of time is very important, but it's, there is no guarantee that you'll make it through the course because of it. Right, we were talking a little bit before uh, we started this. It's compared to the other students that were going through uh, as you looked around. Was it predictable as people were going to start to fall out? And then I'd like to follow up with Chief Rhodes on that too, who's been through a lot more. But what did you feel from the student perspective? Uh, for me, uh, no. Uh, you you kind of look around and you know it's like anytime you get a group of firemen together, you know, I, I can remember the um, the day beforehand when we did the physical and the written test, you know, everybody's kind of looking at each other and sizing each other up. And uh, uh, for my class, uh, last November, class 58, uh, one of, you know, you look at people and you go, well, that, that guy's a beast. That guy's definitely going to make it. And then when Sunday morning rolls around, he's one of the first people who, uh, who quits the class. And you kind of have this realization moment of like, uh, one, like this is for real. And two, yeah, you just can't, it's like, I listen to a lot of Jocko and Jocko talks about, uh, you know, the buds program and stuff of how you just can't look at a person, uh, physically and, and know whether or not they can push themselves to that limit. Uh, and I found the smoke diver to program to be very similar where you could look at people and be like, well, that person's they're they're definitely in shape you know they look the part but just looking the part is not is not good enough you really uh have to have that deep uh internal drive and so yeah i if you if i could have picked throughout our class from the first day to the last day who would be left uh, i would have been uh very wrong in a lot of cases so um yeah i wasn't as a student i was not very good at predicting um who would make it and who would not. And uh, quite frankly, throughout the week, you can't even be thinking about that. You gotta, you gotta focus on yourself and just live in three seconds at a time to get through the program. So you're not really um, looking around at people a whole lot. You're kind of, uh, at least I wasn't. 
um, you're kind of focusing on that internal of yourself, just try and uh, get to uh, the program yourself. So. What about you, Chief? I'm sure you've been through this a bunch. Is it a little easier for you to pick out the perfect recipe or, or predict who's going to make it through and not? Um, no, not without, uh, you know, there's some people that, that, you know, I personally know that are coming through the program and I'll have like a, an idea of how they'll do. But um, so much of it is mental that uh, exactly what Brian said is, is true. And, and just to make sure the listeners understand, the, the reason we do the PT uh, every morning is strictly to wear you out. It has nothing to do with trying to get you in shape or teaching you workouts or anything like that. It's strictly to, to, to wear you out to the point that when you start to do the actual fire drills that your decision making is compromised and we're working you through how to how to overcome um you know the adversity of being sore being tired being dehydrated being hungry all those things come into play and uh, even though we monitor all those things for safety and keep you at the highest level possible, it's still, it's one of those things that you can't recreate in, in a one day class or two day class, this accumulative effect, no matter how hard you made it, there would just be, you know, you would be able to, to, to make it. But when you get to day three, day four, whatever, then all those things are starting to add up and your, your preparation shows in that the, the more prepared you are physically, obviously the quicker you recover, um, the more clear your, your thought processes are and all that. So little man sitting on your shoulder, just saying, man, I can't take this. But as, as Brian said, some of the, uh, folks that are just beast when they get there and you think, wow, this guy's just a, you know, a physical specimen. They're some of the first, uh, first ones to drop out. And you, you find that true in any, anything that really focuses on, on mental capacity. Um, there really is no predictors. The biggest thing is people who've been through a lot of adversity um, in their life. Uh, they could be the tiniest guy in the class, but if they've kind of had a lot to deal with and been through a lot of adversity, they fare pretty well. And, uh, and that's what the class is about is like pushing through. And we're using fire drills, obviously, because that's what we do. But it's much, much bigger than, than just fire drills. Um, uh, when we close out the class, I always talk about how some of the, some of the toughest adversity that you'll face is going to be getting that crappy station assignment that, that someplace you don't want to or working with guys that don't really care about the job and trying to motivate un, you know, folks that are unmotivated. Some of that's the adversity you're going to face versus you know, having to search out a a four-story apartment or a high-rise or, or whatever it is. So really dig deep into that um, with each one of them, and it, it starts to make sense to them as we, as we get closer to the end. Um, what couple questions about uh, class size and pass rates. Curious what the class size is when it starts, what the pass rate is like, and how do you fail out? So we typically take between 42 and 46 in Georgia, and that's because we have an instructor cadre of, of 80 to 90 instructors every day, so we can handle that, that volume. 
Um, I think the most Indiana's ever taken has been like 24, and, and we had 24 in, in Oklahoma also, but the instructor cadre is much smaller. Um, so we'll, we'll take that uh, 42 or, or 46, and our highest uh, graduation rates, again, these are, this is another unpredictable uh, thing, but it averages right around 46 to 50%. Um, but we have uh, spiked a couple classes uh, have have been as high as like 56%. But um, on average, we just we just pretty much say about about half. But um, there have been some anomaly classes where we've started with 42 and only graduated six. Uh, I think one class we had nine. So we're there for the duration. It, it's totally on you. The qualification test has helped a lot. In the older days, um, we were just under a, a policy that that when the program was affiliated with the state, that you had to take two per department that applied, and there was no qualification until the first day. And then the qualification was the old NFPA 1001 physical fitness test, and you would lose 20 percent, you know, on the first day. So we tried to eliminate that as we uh, sort of privatized the class and and turned it into more of a competition. So we we take the, the folks that are the most prepared based off their, uh, their physical scores. And of course, the written is there too, just to make sure that you'll apply yourself to, to cover the material and, and, and learn it. And we have a minimum, minimum score of 80 on that, on that written test versus your, your typical 70. And uh, without going too far on the tangent, that was an interesting process when we implemented that, is that every every standard was 70, we said 80. And I think the first qualification test, about 50% of the people uh, didn't make the 80 on the written test. And there was a lot of talk about, oh, should we lower it to 70? Should we lower it, blah, blah, blah. I was like, absolutely not. And when we said we're not lowering it, then we've hardly had anybody fail that written test since. So it's proof that you can raise the bar for folks if you just uh, set the standard and, and hold people accountable to it. So Chief, uh, on your side, what's the instructor ratio to students that you guys have going during the program? So during the first few days, uh, it's a, when we have 42, um, it's at least it's at least two to one, but by about Tuesday, it's up to uh, three to four to one. And th that's, uh, it's higher than that, depending on what we're doing. Um, for example, if we're running an actual IDLH um, portion, then there's probably five instructors to each student for that particular drill, but we're running uh, a full type three incident management team. We have a full medical staff. We have a full food unit and we have a full logistics staff. Um, and the students, uh, we're, we're able to do that with the instructor numbers we have and the students, all they do is participate in class. There's no cleaning, cleaning up, you know, at the end of the day or setting up or anything. The instructors take care of everything. All they do is show up and, and they put in their work on the learning and, and producing. And so uh, that's why it takes so many uh, instructors to pull off uh, 
there's such a, a, a safety margin and the, the dynamic and adaptable instructor piece is, is so critical because if somebody came and, and just watched um, what we did without experiencing it and didn't come back to intern and see what all goes in behind the scenes, then um, it, it, it could be very disastrous uh, as a training training course if you don't know if you don't know what you're doing and exactly how you're able to push folks to that level and and do it with very minimal injuries. Um, we went through some periods of time where um, dehydration and, and rhabdomyolysis and things like that that you typically find in a lot of recruit classes and stuff were happening. But uh, through our through our medical teams and, and our procedures and, and things that we have in place, we've pretty much eliminated all of that. Now, as far as the reasons why, why people leave, um, the majority of them just quit on their own. Um, we, we call that a, a DOR drop on request. They just, you know, say I've had enough. I'm, it's not for me. And they leave. Um, we make sure to, to do a, a full exit interview with them to find out, you know, how they prepared and, uh, you know, what, what brought them to the class. And then, and then in their own words, they have to tell us why they're leaving. And, uh, and the majority of that is, you know, just I was I wasn't prepared. I wasn't expecting exactly what I got, and and I would say probably fifty percent of those end up coming back. Um, obviously, if you if you get an injury, we may have to to uh, put you out of the class. That'd be a, a medical discharge. It could be that you, uh, uh, you know, had a severe sprain or or um maybe maybe you had some surgery or something and and retore you know something doing a drill or whatever we will medical you out there and you're allowed to come back to the to the next class without qualifying and then drop on performance uh, dop would be that you're unable to complete the uh, assignment of whatever that task is and a lot of that will happen like uh, during the PT on the obstacle course. Uh, one of the evolutions is a hose hoist where you're, you're hoisting a roll of hose to the top of the building and you have to do it twice. You have to do it hand over hand. You have to let it down hand over hand. And sometimes uh, like somebody may not be able to accomplish that. And so if they can't accomplish it, then they get dismissed and uh, it's it's a sad it's a sad deal when you see somebody doing pretty good and then all of a sudden day four they can't hoist that hose and you have to dismiss them, but that's part of the process. That's their adversity that they got to overcome, and see if they're going to let that little thing knock them out of not coming back, or are they going to go train harder and come back and and then knock it out. Um, there have been a few occasions uh, where we have dismissed an entire group. Um, it's pretty rare, but uh, even late in the week on Thursday, we, we had a group, uh, it's been several years ago, but I mean, they were mostly young guys and they had no clue as to how to search and they just couldn't get it together. And uh, they had so many attempts that it became dangerous for them to continue physically. So uh, 
we had to dismiss the entire group. But the standards are there. Um, there's not a whole lot of leeway with it. If we say you get two attempts and 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 you don't make it on your second attempt, then you know you're dismissed and you got to you got to start the process over again if you want to come back. Gotcha, um, Brian. I want you to talk about a little bit about how the experience has shaped you as a firefighter and also how learning from the instructors there, how that um, changed your, if it did at all, changed your perspective on when you uh, teach with Brothers in Battle as an instructor. Uh, yeah, so just uh, being able to go through the Smoke Diver program and how it's changed me, I think uh, going into it, I you get the perspective that it's kind of just, a, a very challenging course uh, or that it's like a physical mental beatdown. but in reality uh i probably did I'd, at least five or six drills in the program that I, I i hadn't done before uh in the in my fire service training whether uh seen it at a conference or or uh you know at my own department and so uh there's a lot more training uh involved a lot more drills that you get to do uh versus it just being uh, a physical a physical beat down for a week so um obviously i learned i learned a lot through the program so getting to do drills for the first time and getting to do them when I'm very tired uh when you're just kind of physically and mentally exhausted is super beneficial because since the program, I haven't, you, I mean, like Chief Rhodes said, you can't recreate this program in a one-day or a two-day class. It's a week-long process, and so we very rarely get to that point in our regular fire service training. Uh, so for me, not only did I get to participate in new drills and learn a lot of new skills, uh, it also kind of reshaped kind of how I look at training. and. Uh, and how beneficial it is to be able to uh, go through that program and get to do drills that normally, under normal circumstances, maybe we've done the drill, uh, you know, dozens of times before in our career and we feel pretty confident at it, at it, but you get to day five or day six in the program and that drill starts to become something very different than what it typically would be. And so just kind of reshaping my mind about um, fire service training in general, uh, it's helped with that. Now, uh, with Brothers in Battle, uh, we do a lot of skill acquisition stuff, teaching forcible entry, teaching search and things. And so I've tried to take little be uh, pieces of what I learned in smoke divers and being a, a George smoke diver. And I'm not quite sure, to be completely honest, how to integrate those yet, but I'm kind of working my mind through it. Because again, uh, in a Brothers in Battle class that we'd normally do that might be two days long, you can't create what uh, they do at the Georgia Smoke Diver program in six days. So, um, but trying to take some of those little lessons about decision making and things like that that I uh, went through in the class and uh, how to utilize those not only as an instructor, but uh, as a student for myself as well. Uh, so, yeah, I kind of just re kind of reshape my uh, thinking process around training. Uh, and, you know, that's uh, part of the reason why, you know, I want to go back uh, over and over again to the program and see the other side of things. Because when you're a, a participant 
in the smoke diver program you don't get to you don't see all the stuff that's happening behind the scenes uh you're just trying to survive every day uh, i tell people if you can uh maybe the best advice uh for me would be if you can live three seconds at a time for an entire week you might might be able to make it through the program because you can't you can't focus on anything beyond the next three seconds basically and so you don't see all the you know the stuff behind the scenes in the program. So I haven't had the opportunity yet to go back and see that. Um, so I'll have a, a much better idea uh, once I get that opportunity, hopefully uh, in the fall, to go back and, uh, and see how the instructors prepare those things and see everything that goes on throughout the day. Because when you're a participant, again, you're, you're just trying to focus on what you're doing exactly at that moment and, and not really, uh, and looking around at everything else that's going on. So, Chief, on the flip side, as an instructor and, and the, um, the smoke daddy of the program, how has that helped you in your full-time career? And also, what have you learned from the students uh, on their side as they go through the program? Well, I took the, uh, the course real early in my career, and it just, you know, it was an awesome experience for me to be pushed that hard um at, at, you know at the time obviously the toughest thing that i had been through so uh little did i know that it was preparing me for all kinds of adversity and some of those things we mentioned before um as far as the uh the students we learn from from students every single class and that's the that is one beauty of the program is that um, the instructors are, are very special folks that that all have that mentality of adaptability, and so we sort of pride ourselves on creating this uh, what we consider uh, experiential learning for the student. And so, even though we have a, we have a script, we have the outlines. Um, our, our group is very dynamic and very adaptable so that if we're in the middle of a teaching station and we're teaching drags and carries packaging uh, or search or whatever it is and a student does something um, that is maybe not exactly the way we had been doing the drill but the instructor sees that okay there's you know there's merit to this technique whether it's a different way to do a denver drill or a, a different way to bail out or whatever and if our instructors think right then that that is a better method than what we're showing and, and we try to stay away from the one method this is the way to do it we show numerous types of things uh ways you can do things and then the whole the whole point is we want you to think we want to we want to fill your toolbox with knowledge and then you decide what's best at the time that that you're you're called to perform that particular task and knowing three or four different ways to do something is great because maybe you're not able to use your left arm that you rely on on this particular drill and you got to do it a different way or whatever that is so when we see something that is different from from what we've done those instructors have full authority to incorporate that right then and it doesn't matter if it's in the middle of the rotations or whatever if they want to to start showing that that 
methodology, then they show it. And uh, um, our technology has allowed us to uh, um, keep the outlines and stuff updated almost real time. So the, the instructor is able to go on their phone and, and pop in some information for that particular drill in the plan section actually updates the paperwork right then. And, uh, and if we have a different group of instructors teaching the next time, then that's already incorporated into our, uh, our plans and policies. But, uh, I guess as a side benefit and, uh, and you guys know this cause you're involved in, in a lot of stuff, but, uh, um, most of the people involved in our, our program are, are extremely high speed folks. Um, it's, it's very rare that their departments ever meet their expectations, uh, because their standards are, are higher than the normal and the general population. And it's, it's hard for any organization to meet that, but we're able to meet that there. And, uh, just as folks look forward to going to FDIC for a recharge or whatever, um, the instructor cadre, it, it, it does that mentally for them is it, it's a place they can go um, a couple times a year and get to be a part of something that functions without much bureaucracy, uh, without uh, always being shot down uh, and, and stays on top. Uh, of the game. If there's new information with thermal imaging, we got somebody that's on top of it. If there's new things with search and to be a part of that kind of recharges you and it makes you a better uh, person back at your department. And the way we run with the incident management, um, we have task forces, task force leaders. We have, uh, you know, operations chiefs, deputy operations chiefs, all that stuff. Just, just, laid out in the type three format. And so um, as an incident command system is supposed to be designed, rank is of, of no importance. It's position driven. So we may have a five-year firefighter who's been through the program and been back, let's say six, seven times and has started to build some seniority in the instructor cadre. And he may be in a position in the in the incident management scheme that would typically be a, a station officer or maybe even a battalion chief or something as far as responsibility wise. So that's developing uh, their leadership, their their ability to manage um, the importance of, of the full package, not just not just being Mongo who can knock down the door but being Mongo who can knock down the door when the door needs to be knocked down and then being able to document that properly afterwards and resupplying for the next, uh, for the next rotation and so forth. So equal importance on, on good quality paperwork and, and, uh, and documentation of performance, um, as well as being responsible for maintaining a schedule, uh, documenting uh, any issues that, that arise if there was any, any injuries or anything like that, and then notifying chain of command. So it's, it's an officer boot camp on the instructor side on steroids. And a lot of these folks have gone on to uh, help out, you know, start incident management teams for their departments. And, um, and it gets you prepared for, 
it, it shows you how to manage beyond just the the typical structure fire, the type four and type five incidents that we do every day. It, it's teaching you how to function in a system and build an organization that can manage anything over a long period of time. Chief, you talked uh, quite a bit about paperwork and script. Uh, I think that's a part where a lot of instructors, uh, when they when they try to put together a scenario, are just kind of shooting from the hip. Can you speak a little bit to the benefit of scripting a drill, uh, trying to get specific out objectives met? Yeah, it's uh, it's extremely important because you want all the instructors on the same page, and you want scenarios that are consistently repeatable. Um, now there are times when when we do have have uh, scenarios that, ch that change, but one of the things that that I uh, preach with the instructors is you don't want to create unwinnable scenarios. Let let the scenario stand on its own. And if you built a scenario and some whiz bang guy comes in there and defeats your two hour scenario in five minutes then he defeated your two hour scenario in five minutes. And, and obviously you didn't plan it out like you thought you did. And then you gotta adjust for the next time, but don't change it so that he doesn't accomplish it. Now you can have him do another scenario, but um, don't, you know, you don't, you don't move the ball. You can throw in variables obviously that, uh, um, that make them adapt and think, but those have to be, have to be scripted in and uh, it need to be there for consistency. It's a, it's a tight rope to walk. Um, and we do have a little bit of, uh, of leeway with some of the instructors and some of the drills. And that's where Brian talks about, no matter how well you prepare, we're gonna push you to, the, to your limit. And so we may have to do something a little bit different for, for somebody um, just to get them to that point but we're not, we're not changing the scope of the drill itself. Um, they're still having to accomplish the same thing. And a lot of that is done psychologically versus physically um, by adding you know, more psychological uh, adversity to a particular drill for a particular person versus you know, m moving a wall or moving a victim or having a heavier victim, none of that stuff happens. But, um, the instructor's words are, are pretty powerful. And uh, when you start getting tired and, and your decision-making's going, uh, just playing certain sounds or doing certain things can really affect your performance. And so we do that. But definitely um, your, your outline needs to be in, in place. And, and it's a guide like anything else. Um, but once you have the objective down and how you're going to accomplish that objective, then we take it even further. And every single drill we do, um, pretty much every class, the, the instructor team for that drill conducts what we call a uh, pre-mortem on the drill. And they sit there and brainstorm as to what could go wrong with this drill um, from an instructor perspective and from the student's perspective perspective and how are they going to respond to what goes wrong and j just to give you a quick example uh, the hose hose hoist from the top of the building um, during the PT evolutions you know that the, the pre-mortem on that 
was identified early that, hey, if somebody tired could, you know, sort of be hanging over this rail and what if they fall off the building? So how do we fix that? So they got, you know, a rope and they clip a carabiner into the, uh, to the SCBA and they got an instructor standing right beside them as a safety. Well, what if somebody has a heart attack while they're doing it? Well, there's a Stokes basket Prius, pre, uh, pre-rigged and uh, ready to go up on the roof so that all they got to do is throw somebody in the Stokes basket and uh, take them down the stairs. And so for every single drill, and there's there's multiple drills going at all times, there's like 16 to 18 stations in the obstacle course. So that process has been done with the instructors uh, numerous times. And then that's briefed in, in the briefing with the instructors, whoever's managing that particular drill is if these things happen, this is the way we, we react to them and this is the way we do. So that's there for the safety side. Um, and the other, the other big part of that is the internship to where, you know, you're gonna help with a station, you're gonna help uh, sort of as an assistant, probably four or five classes before you would ever get to, uh, to be the lead on that particular station. And that's a learning process too, you're getting to see multiple evolutions of the same thing and uh and and it helps you to predict outcomes by by seeing different things that students do uh they can jam themselves up and so you're you're very experienced by the time you get to that lead uh, instructor role it's not just uh you came to the class and we liked you and so now you're a lead um you're you're looking at at years to work your way up to a lead position so all that we have the luxury of doing that uh, because of the way our organization's set up. Nobody's getting paid; strictly volunteer, uh, uh, volunteering your time. And until recently, you were you were there at your own expense. We have been able to cover hotel rooms here in the last three or four years, but uh, um, we're very fortunate that everybody wants to be there. Nobody's being made to to come there. Now, uh, your first few times back, you may be, you may be helping uh, clean tables and restrooms and, and doing a lot of grunt work, and uh, but that's good for you too because that really shows that you're there for the right reason. So, Brian, you put in a ton of prep work on the front end. Uh, what have you have you found it uh, beneficial on the fire ground, and what are you continuing to train on at post Georgia Smoke Divers? Yeah, uh, just real quick before I before I get into that, I wanted to add something about uh, my experience. Um, what I uh, and Chief Rose just spoke to it with the fact that everybody is is there uh, volunteering their time is the the servant leadership aspect um, that was uh, was a pleasant surprise going through and. Uh, uh, not to I'm not trying to embarrass Chief Rhodes or anything with this, but uh, I can remember sitting in the in in the room eating lunch one day and seeing Chief Rhodes up front, and he's passing out uh, pickle juice and salt and cookies and just kind of where all the students are in there uh, eating lunch, and I just remember thinking to myself, "This is uh, Smoke Daddy," you know, and he's up front there and we're eating lunch and he's uh, really just being a good example of, of servant leadership, even something as small as uh, getting somebody some 
pickle juice to help keep us hydrated. Uh, that just really stuck with me. And, uh, and I can remember at the firemanship conference this year, uh, we were doing some live fire force of entry and stuff. And I can remember looking around at lunch and seeing everybody and that moment stuck in my head. And I got up and grabbed a jar of pickle juice and started handing out pickle juice to people. And, and just remember that example of uh, servant leadership that really stuck with me after, uh, after going through the smoke diver program that um, is definitely something that has affected me. And um, that was something that I might not have done uh, prior to that. And so I just wanted to add that in. Um, and so as far as Grant, you asked what, what additional things I was training on. Yeah, Brian, you did a lot of gear workouts. You've always been lifting heavy, odd objects. Um, a lot of that probably in prep for the Georgia Smoke Divers. What have you continued to, what have you kept as part of that pre-training post-Smoke post, uh, Smoke Divers? Yeah, so, um, yeah, after going through the program, I'm trying to wrap my head around what, what does it mean now? What does it mean to be a Georgia Smoke Diver now? Because in, in my head, uh, getting through the program is just the first step. So what does it look like? Um, going forward for me and I've tried to keep up those workouts and gear um, again one thing I remember Chief Rhodes saying during uh, I, I don't remember at what point during the week but at some point during the week he talked about like we should be training for uh, you know eight hours a month on air and I remember thinking like eight hours a month on air okay <laughs> all right so when I got back and I've been re I've been recording uh, how much time I'm training on air every month um, since I got back from the program. And I haven't hit that eight hour mark yet, but I've tried to continue that idea that, uh, you know, the public doesn't get to choose who shows up at their house. Uh, they call 911. And if it's me, you know, or my crew, we, we should be prepared and, uh, you know, one of the most difficult things we do is we wear all our gear and we're on air and we go into a structure fire. So I should be very comfortable with everything uh, surrounding that. And I think when I when I think back in my prior training, you know, uh, you know, last month I, I spent like four or five hours training on air. I've, I've probably gone six months, eight months, a year in my career without having spent that much time. Uh, wearing a breathing apparatus so uh, that part of the class because it is so heavy on the the um, SCBA side the search side RIT firefighter self-rescue um, that's really stuck with me to try and push myself of I, I really do need to spend more time training on air and in this full kit because, uh, you know, when the chip's down, that's the position that we're probably going to find ourselves in. So uh, if we're going to be comfortable uh, doing fire training, it should, we should be comfortable uh, with the whole setup and not just, um, you know, the only time we're ever on air is either whether we're at an incident or we have, you know, some annual training or something, we're going to do a drill. We should really be spending some time on air uh, every shift. So I've tried to uh, continue to push myself and, and figure out ways to 
whether it's doing a workout on air or uh, even if I'm just by myself and doing some solo drills, trying to spend as much time as possible as I can uh, breathing on that cylinder. So nice. Would uh, so you're at your point in your career. You said you've been on uh, about ten years. What would you tell the new guy coming on? They say, oh, you know, he wants to be a go-getter and he wants to do this. At what point in his career would you say, hey, you should take this? Or what skills should you master first? Well, I mean, I, the skills that are in the program are, are skills that most of them we've probably all done. They're, they're basic skills. It's, again, the, the build-on effect throughout the week that ends up making them difficult. There's no, like, magical you know, overly advanced skills that you're going to do uh, that, I, that I can remember doing in the program. It was, can you do those basic skills when you're physically and mentally exhausted? Um, so uh, focusing on the basis, basics is important. Um, you know, I'm glad that I, uh, I think, didn't find the Georgia Smoke Diver program until I was about a decade in because um, I had a little bit of experience and it's kind of, you know, could have been that point in my career where complacency really started to creep in hard and, and it's kind of rejuvenated me uh, in that respect. But um, again, whether you have one year on or 20 years on, um, it's, a, it's a worthy endeavor for sure. And regardless of whether or not somebody makes it through the program, I think it's uh, it's definitely a valuable uh, program to get involved with. So again, focusing on the basics is important. Obviously, uh, having that physical fitness is big. Um, but again, for me personally, I'm glad that it, I found it at a, you know, kind of a middle point in my career. Because um, I think it'll, it'll, it's definitely going to shape, uh, you know, the, uh, the latter half of uh, my fire service career. So my, I guess my advice for the new person is, uh, you know, focus on the basics, take your physical fitness and your mental health uh, seriously, um, because I think in a lot of ways, um, the physical and the mental tie together very well. And uh, we focus on the physical a lot, but we don't always take into account that mental health. And like Chief Rhodes said earlier, sometimes the most adversity we have is, is uh, you know, poor leadership in our department. And that can, if you're a young go-getter, that can really um, start to take a toll on you. So again, just to try and focus on that, find good mentors and, and keep that um, positive attitude and that physical fitness and mental health um, kind of on the same track. Great, well, Brian, Chief Rhodes, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, we learned a lot about Georgia's smoke diver program, what we can take from it. Um, if you guys are interested, like Chief Rhodes said, head to the website. You got to be quick because it does register uh, pretty quickly. So, again, thank you guys for joining us on the Journeyman Fire Podcast. Thanks for having us.